Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. And uh, actually, Jimmy, before we get to, to putting that up there, uh, while you're turning there, Psalm 137 is a bit of a unique psalm. Uh, usually, psalms are generic. That is, they don't give specific names. But when you get to Psalm 137, it lists a bunch of specific names. There, there's Babylon and the Edomites. There's Zion and Jerusalem. And so I want to give you just a little bit of historical context so that you can understand what's going on as we come to this psalm. So in order to understand the context, you need to start back at the beginning. And once upon a time, Israel was a united kingdom. And you had the united kingdom through Saul and David and then Solomon. And in 930 BC, that united kingdom divided. And you had Israel in the north and you had Judah and Jerusalem is a city inside of Judah in the south. Well, as Israel's history goes along, Israel's history is completely judged by the book of Deuteronomy. You see, the book of Deuteronomy is a covenant that God gives through Moses to his people. And it says, if you obey, there are covenant blessings. And if you disobey, there are covenant curses. And so throughout Israel's history, king after king after king breaks God's covenant law. And so as a result, God brings judgment. And so you see in the book of Kings that the road to Babylon is paved with a broken covenant. Well, the northern kingdom is worse than the southern kingdom, and we can all relate to that, right? And so as a result, in 722 B.C., the north falls to Assyria. And then a little more than 100 years later, in 586 B.C., Judah falls to Babylon. And that's the context of our psalm this morning. Judah has fallen to Babylon, and they've been carried off against their will. They're now exiles living in the city of Babylon. They're prisoners of war. They're hostages. Now, as we come to the psalm this morning, we're going to look at the psalm under three headings. First, in verses 7 through 9, we're going to see the anger of a cruel destruction. And then in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see the grief of a foreign land. And then finally in verses 5 and 6, we're going to see the joy of a final home. So the anger of a cruel destruction, the grief of a foreign land, and the joy of a final home. So look with me, if you will, at Psalm 137 here. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. 
Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Zion, doomed, excuse me, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. So far, God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word, may he write its eternal truth upon all of our hearts. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, sometimes your word can be difficult to understand. So I ask that you would help us as we come to your word, that we might be able to rightly divide the word of truth, and that as we do, that your word might penetrate into our hearts. Father, I pray that you would convince us of our sin and misery, that you would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and that you would renew our wills by the power of your gospel, through the work of your Holy Spirit, and through the mediation of your Son. I ask that you would forgive the one who teaches his sins, for they are many. May we see Jesus and him only. Amen. So first of all, we need to look at verses 7 through 9 and the anger of a cruel destruction. There's kind of an elephant in the room here, right? I mean, did did you all see what verse 9 says? Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones, right, and dashes them against the rock. Does that make you a little bit uncomfortable? It makes me a little bit uncomfortable here. So what do we do with this passage? I I thought God was a God of love and mercy and grace and tenderness and kindness and goodness. How do we understand, blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks? Well, let me see if I can help explain and help resolve your cognitive dissonance a little bit here. In Hebrew poetry, one line of the psalm is interpreted by another line of the psalm. It's a device called parallelism. So if you you want to understand verse 9, you need to go back and read the verse right before it because these two verses are in parallel and you should hear them in stereo. One informs the other. And so what does it say in verse 8? Blessed shall he be who what? who repays you with what you have done to us. Do you see, what, what, what was you, the, the you that is being talked about here is Babylon, and what have you done to us? Well, you have bashed our children's head against the rocks, right? This is what happened in ancient warfare, and this is what happened in Judah. You see, when Babylon came in and they conquered the city, they took the little ones, and they bashed their heads against the rock. They slaughtered women and children. And this is just what happened in warfare in in that day. When you won victory, you came in and you slaughtered innocent children. You, You killed unarmed women. And so the psalmist here is simply asking, may what Babylon 
did to us be done to them? It's the law of retaliation. It's what's called the lex talionis. This is a biblical principle, right? It's something that you see in the Old Testament. You've heard it, right? It's an eye for an eye. But it goes on. There's much more than that. It's an eye for an eye. It's a tooth for a tooth. It's a hand for a hand. It's a foot for a foot. It's a fracture for a fracture. And in Leviticus 24 and verse 20, uh, the writer Moses says this, Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. So the psalmist is asking for biblical justice. He's asking for things to be paid back equally. He's asking for a measured response. You know, in 586, as Babylon comes in and conquers Judah... There's the king at the time is King Zedekiah. And it says in 2 Kings 25 and verse 7 that Zedekiah watched as the Babylonians slaughtered his children. And then his eyes were gouged out and he was put in chains and he was led into bondage. He was led into exile. He was led into Babylon. Can you imagine the anger? Can you imagine the rage? Can you imagine the desire for vengeance, the desire for revenge? But those emotions make us a little uncomfortable, don't they? We want to hold those emotions at a distance right? Because sitting in the place of privilege in comfortable Christianity, these emotions are foreign to us. And so when we see monstrous evil or cruel injustice, we don't know how to respond. We don't have the vocabulary. But if you were there, if that was your child that you saw being slaughtered, May I suggest that there would be an anger and a rage and a desire for vengeance and that that would be an appropriate response, right? Because that's a righteous anger. The Psalms, as a general rule, don't give us specific names or places. But in Psalm 137... The psalmist gives you details, right? Why? Why does he give you details here? When so many psalms don't give you details, I think the psalmist wants you to stand in his shoes and to experience his loss, to know his pain, to feel his anger. Can you feel the rawness, the white-hot emotion It's there in God's word. And it's there to startle us. It's there to get our attention. It's there to keep us from being complacent about the cruelty in the world. Can I push you a little bit further? Clinton McMahon in his commentary on the Psalms says this. In the face of monstrous evil... The worst possible response is to feel nothing. What must be felt is grief and rage and outrage. In their absence, evil becomes an acceptable commonplace. To forget 
is to submit to evil, to wither and die. But to remember is to resist, to be faithful, and to live again. You see, I think this world would be a different place if Christians took that righteous anger in response to the monstrous evil and cruelty in the world. So I want you to feel that righteous anger. That's hard for us, right? But I want you to feel that righteous anger. And then I want you to move towards action. But I never, never want you to presume to be God's agent of final justice. I never want you to insert yourself as the he in verse 8. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done for us. Why would I give you this disclaimer? Why would I give you this warning? I want to tell you a story about a, a man we'll call Norm. Norm was a graduate of Bellhaven College. He was a graduate of Reformed Theological Seminary. And in 1984, he was ordained in the Presbyterian Church of America. <clears throat> Later, Norm was excommunicated as he joined a militant uh, anti-abortion group. On July 29th, 1994, Norm walked up to an abortion clinic doctor and took out a 12-gauge shotgun and shot both the abortion clinic doctor and the bodyguard. He was arrested, tried, and convicted, and eventually Norm was put to death by lethal injection. You see, Norm thought that he could take God's justice into his own hands. And he thought he was perfectly in the right to do so, right? He thought he was just repaying what that abortion clinic doctor had done. He, he was repaying to a murderer, murder. He was repaying to that doctor what that doctor had done a hundred times before. But was Norm in the right? Absolutely not. So how do we understand this passage? Well, let me see if I can walk you through uh, what we're looking at here. Psalm 137. Jimmy, can you pull this up? Psalm 137, verse 9. says, Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Right? But do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, he says this, But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, you should turn your other cheek also. So, so how do you put those two things together? Well, may, maybe it's just that there's a God of the Old Testament who's a God of vengeance and wrath and justice, and then there's a God of the New Testament who's a God of mercy and love and grace and forgiveness. But that can't be it. We have one God, right? And actually, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, now, now we know the second part of this passage, right? You've heard this before. Because when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? 
He says that the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second is like it. You shall what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But do you notice what's at the beginning of that verse? You shall not take vengeance. You shall not take vengeance. So how can the Bible say both? How can the Bible say, blessed shall be he who dashes the heads of the little ones on the rocks, and on the other hand, you shall not take vengeance? Well, I think we begin to move towards an answer, right? Because that, that looks like the Bible is contradicting itself, doesn't it? I think we begin to move towards an answer in Romans 12, 19 that was read this morning. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but what? But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Right? Never avenge yourselves, leave it to the wrath of God. And then it, that word repay, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Have you seen that word already this morning? It's there in verse 8, Psalm 137, verse 8. Blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. So who is it that's going to repay? Right? We want to put a person in there. We, we want to put ourselves in there. Norm stepped in and put himself in here. But I want you to know that verse 7 controls the whole stanza of verses 7, 8, and 9. And how does it begin? Remember, O Lord, against. And then he goes on in verse 7, he says, remember against the Edomites. And then the idea is continued in verses 8 and 9, and it's remember against Babylon. And if that's the case, then the one who repays Babylon with what they did to Judah, and the one who takes Babylon's little ones and dashes them against the rock, isn't any human person. It's not you. It's not me. It's not a Judahite. It's not a Jerusalemite. Who is it? It's the Lord, right? And that's exactly what's written in Jeremiah, specifically referring to Babylon in Jeremiah 51. He says, for the Lord is having, uh, is laying Babylon waste. For the Lord is a God of recompense. He will surely what? Repay. He will repay. You see, God alone is the one who will bring final justice. God alone is the one who will bring final justice. And so we can leave justice in his hands. We don't need to avenge ourselves. And trust me, the vengeance that God will bring is far worse than anything that you or I could meet out. So feel, right? Feel righteous anger and move towards justice, but do so with grace and mercy because final justice is always and only in the hands of the one true righteous judge. So that's the anger of a cruel destruction. But secondly, I want you to notice in verses 1 through 4, the grief of a foreign land. The grief of a foreign land. 
Now, as we're coming to Babylon, I want to give you a little bit of context because Babylon here in Psalm 137 is actually connected back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Do you remember where this city gets referred to in the book of Genesis? It's the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And do you remember the people gather together and they're trying to build this monstrous tower in order to storm the gates of heaven, right? To conquer God's throne, to take his place. And God comes down. It's beautiful. It says he stoops down, right? They're trying to get as far up as they can. God stoops down and he brings judgment, right? And he confuses their language and he scatters the people. So Babylon's beginnings, right, are rooted in rebellion against God. Now, the psalm here in verse 1 and verses 1 through 3 begins with an expression of deep grief. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing to us one of the songs of Zion. Now the psalmist in verses 1 through 3 is using a literary device, right, to bring you into Babylon. Did you catch it? It's repetition. He uses one word three times, and he uses it in each of the three verses, and it's the word there. Right? By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs. So he's putting you there in Babylon. And so maybe you can see the splendor of Nebuchadnezzar II's palace with its stone artwork and its many pools, right? Or maybe you can smell the smell of the plants in Babylon's hanging gardens that were once considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world. Or maybe you can hear the rush of the Euphrates River. The, the, the psalmist is putting you there in this city. But... This city is a city where you don't belong. This city is a city where you're not wanted. You don't belong in the city of Zion. Excuse me, you belong in the city of Zion, but you're in the city of Babylon. This place isn't your home. You're a stranger in a foreign land. But it's worse than that. You're not just a stranger. You're actually a prisoner of war. You're a hostage. You're being held against your will. Can you picture it? May I suggest that if you're a part of the majority culture, sometimes we have difficulty connecting to the idea of being in a foreign land or being on a pilgrimage or not being home yet. Because when you're in a position of wealth and power and privilege, it can be hard to understand what it means to be in a foreign land. We can have difficulty connecting with this idea. 
So last week there was a Sunday school in between the two services and uh, Bryant Taylor, one of our ruling elders, told a little snippet of our days back when we were still Trinity Church. This is probably 2003, 2004. And he said that Mike Ross, one day from the pulpit, was lamenting the fact that in our Trinity hymnal, we didn't have many songs that talked about heaven. We didn't have many songs that talked about the pilgrimage. And Bryant leaned over to his wife, Ron Jeanette, and said, we do in the black church. You see, in the African-American church, the African-American church has given us songs like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And soon, and very soon. And oh, I want to see him. And go down, Moses. And won't it be grand? And swing low, sweet chariot. And these are songs that are full of grief. They're songs that are full of longing for home. Because the African American church growing up in this country knew what it was to be oppressed. They knew what it was to be held hostage. They knew what it was to be a foreigner in a foreign land. And so adding these songs to our hymnal gives us more robust worship. In fact, I would argue that our hymnal, our worship, would be incomplete without them. They give us a language to understand more deeply what it means to be a foreigner in a foreign land. You see, we're so much more complete as the body of Christ together than we ever would be apart. And if you want to understand living between two worlds, may I recommend to you a book. It's called The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Angie Thomas is a Bellhaven graduate, by the way. Our own Don Hubley gets mentioned in the foreword. It's not an easy read, not by any stretch. It's not meant to be, right? But it's a page turner. It's absolutely riveting. The book jacket says this, 16-year-old Star Carter moves between two worlds, the poor black neighborhood where she lives and the fancy suburban prep school she attends. The uneasy balance between these worlds is shattered when Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend, Khalil, at the hands of a police officer. Now, for me, Angie Thomas brings to life in my sanctified imagination what it would be like to walk in Star Carter's shoes for just a little bit, preferably Jordan's, by the way, and live and live between two worlds, right? Now, as I learn about what it's like to live between these two worlds, Maybe I can better understand some of my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I can certainly better understand my own plight. You see, I live between two worlds. Not Star Carter's two worlds, but like the psalmist, I'm a citizen of Zion living in the city of Babylon. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land who's longing for home. And so the psalmist puts you there in 
Babylon. And then he draws your enemies close. So close that you can actually hear the words that they're saying. And what is it that they're saying? Sing us one of those songs from Zion. Now, songs of Zion are psalms in, in the Psalter, and they're hymns of confidence and joy. They're songs of rejoicing about a place where you're fully known and deeply loved. They're songs about a place where you truly belong. They're songs about the only place that will finally fulfill your deepest longings of home. And specifically, they say things like this in Psalm 46 and verse 5. God is in the midst of her. That is, God is in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Can you hear the enemies taunting? Sing us one of those songs of Zion. That they're saying, sing us a song about God's help when it appears that God hasn't helped. They're saying, sing us a song about how Jerusalem will always stand when Jerusalem has fallen. They're saying, sing us a song of joy in a time of sadness. Sing us a song of belonging in a place where you don't belong. Sing us a song of home in a foreign land. And you can almost hear the psalmist's desperation giving way to despair in verse 4. It's almost capitulation. It's like he's giving up. He's weary and he's worn out. And he says, how, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? These songs of joy about this place that will always stand don't seem to make sense anymore. The psalmist is disoriented. How can we sing about God's help when we've suffered defeat and we're in exile? How can we sing about Jerusalem when Jerusalem's been taken from us? How can we sing about an everlasting city when Zion is still burning? But isn't that exactly what we need to do? You see, when we've been disoriented and when, when we're on the edge of despair, singing songs of Zion may be the only thing that gives us our bearings again about what is good and what is right and what is true. And the psalmist remembers that in verses 5 and 6. So you have the anger of a cruel destruction, the grief of a foreign land, and then in verses 5 and 6, you have the joy of a final home. Now he was just worn out, right? He was just at the edge of despair. He was just saying, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? But then in verses 5 and 6, something changes, right? It's almost as if he stops right there in the midst of, his, of the fatigue of his grief, and he remembers. And he needs to remember because in that moment he was teetering on the edge of forgetting. And look at verses 5 and 6. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. He's saying, 
He's taking an oath here of self-imprecation. He's saying, if I forget Jerusalem, may my right hand no longer remember how to play the lyre. Right? If I forget Jerusalem, may my tongue no longer work because there's no song that's worth singing if I can't sing about Jerusalem. Right? If I forget Jerusalem, take away my ability to sing. Now, he hasn't forgotten yet, but he could see it happening. Because when you're in a foreign land, and you can relate because we're in a foreign land, right? We're pilgrims, we're sojourners in a foreign land. When you're in a foreign land, when your truth and your reality have been ripped from you, and you're strangers and aliens, forgetting your true identity becomes a possibility. We're teetering on the edge of forgetting, desperately hanging on to remembering. And when you're there, in that moment, remembering is an act of defiance. Remembering is an act of resistance. Remembering is a way of reorienting the disorientation. Remembering is hope in the midst of the rubble. Remembering is clinging to the eternal city of God while Jerusalem lays in ruins. Remembering is believing in your heart when you can no longer see with your eyes. And some of the best ways that we can remember, it's through song, right? You ever notice that? God is kind of hardwired into your soul's music. Music resonates in a deep way in the bottom of your soul. And so the psalmist here, at the edge of verse 5, he pivots. He goes from, how can I sing one of the Lord's songs, to, I will sing the song of Zion. I will sing the song of Zion in my grief. I will sing the song of Zion in my anger, right? Because he knows that those songs will help him hold on to the joy of home while he sojourns in a foreign land. And so we can all sing together. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. We can all sing together, oh, I want to see him. And as we do, that kindles hope while we're longing for home in a foreign land. And the psalmist, the psalmist also gives us a collection of songs that we can sing together. So, so go, turn, turn your Bibles to Psalm 119. Because from Psalm 119 to Psalm 150, these are all songs that God gives to you in order to remember when you're in a foreign land. So Psalm 119 is this massive Torah acrostic. It's 176 verses. It walks through stanza by stanza, different uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This is the A to Z, everything that you need to know about how you love God's word. And then you have Psalms 120 to 134. To 134. And these are Psalms of ascent. These are Psalms that would have been sung as God's people went up to Jerusalem. These are songs that would have been sung, that there's one psalm for each of the temple steps as they ascended into the holy temple. They would be singing these songs. These are songs of home. 
And then you have Psalms 135 and 136. And these are Psalms of God's great deliverance as he delivered Israel out of Egypt and brought them in to the promised land. And in Psalm 136, you have that refrain that comes at the end of every verse. For his steadfast love endures forever. And then you have our psalm, a psalm of exile and imprecation. And then in verses 138 through 145, you have psalms that all are psalms of David. But these don't seem to be psalms of a historic David in the past because these psalms say things like Psalm 138 verse 4. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. That never happened in historic David's time. It has to be looking forward to a new and better David. And then Psalms 146 to 150 is the hallelujah chorus. Each psalm begins and ends with praise Yahweh, praise O Lord, right? Which is hallelujah. And then you get to Psalm 150 and it's praise, pray. In every verse, it's praise him. It's a hallelujah chorus. And so you see the psalmist is saying, here's a collection of psalms that when you are on the edge of despair that you can sing. You can sing songs about God's word. You can sing songs about God's city. You can sing songs about God's deliverance. You can sing songs about God's savior. And you can sing songs about God's praise. And as you have those songs, you can sing. And then you can remember. Did you notice that remembering is at the center of each of the three sections of the psalm? Remembering is there in the midst of our grief. Verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. It's in the midst of our joy in verse 6. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, and it's there in verse, in the third part, it's there in our anger. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem. You see, remembering is the thread upon which each of the sections of this psalm hang. Now, this whole time, we've been looking at this psalm through the lens of the oppressed, right? We've been reading the psalm. You, the reader, are the oppressed one. You, the reader, are the citizen of Zion. But may I suggest that that's not always been so? that you were once the enemy, that you were once counted among the Babylonians, that you were once the one deserving the wrath and vengeance of a holy God. But do you know how you became a child of the king? Do you know how you became a citizen of Zion? Do you know what happened to the anger and vengeance of God that was due to you? God sent his son who became an infant, a newborn, who was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He became a little one. And God took his son 
his beloved son, right? His only son, his precious child, and he dashed him against the rocks. And why did he do that? He did it for you, and he did it for me. Do you remember Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed? He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this, do you see the broken bread? He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we remember, right, we are proclaiming our allegiance to one world while we're having an act of defiance in another. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of baptism are ways of remembering. They're ways of calling us back to a center place as we as pilgrims and sojourners are longing for home in a foreign land. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, by your goodness, we are no longer your enemies, but we are citizens of Zion. And yet we are in a foreign land and we feel the grief and we feel the anger of cruel destruction. So Father, would you give us in those seasons songs that we might sing, songs of Zion that give us the opportunity to sing and remember that this place is not our home. And we ask it in the one who is broken so that we might be your children. We might be your little ones, even Jesus. Amen.